Hey, uh, next Sunday we get back to our series in John, the book of John, but this morning, welcome to Congo Sunday. I'm kind of excited about this morning. So uh, you're going to be hearing from a lot of the people that just got back from our trip um, over to Central Africa there, Rwanda, Congo, and Burundi. Um, a little bit later on, you're going to be hearing from um, Matt Smith, who's volunteered to be our new college pastor, and hear a little bit about justice and what Scripture has to say about that. Um, so we're just really excited. One thing I just wanted to say was this. It's been interesting, I think, ever since the movie Hotel Rwanda came out, but you know, here in Christian circles and, and certainly with um, pastors and churches and church leaders, uh, comments like, if, if something like that, the Rwandan genocide, was ever to happen again, we wouldn't be silent anymore. Like, we wouldn't sit by and watch something like that go on. Not that we can um, absolutely eradicate those kinds of things, but we can certainly speak up and cry out and kind of um, try to deal with oppression and violence and, and those kinds of things because those people matter. So we wouldn't just ignore it. We would, we would we raise our voices, right? I mean, it seems logical, doesn't it? And so church leaders are, are kind of like, hey, 800,000 people died. And if that were to happen again, we wouldn't stand by silently. The amazing thing is that the Rwandan genocide um, spilled a bunch of rebel groups into Congo. Uh, those that perpetrated the genocide when they fled went into Congo, and the same Hutu-Tutsi uh, ethnic strife is going on in that whole region of Congo that borders Rwanda and Burundi. And the reality is that with 22, roughly 22 active rebel groups in that area, that in the last, since that Rwandan genocide in that time period, um, 5.4 million people have died largely due to these same conflicts and these same issues. 5.4 million. And so it's just one of these things that I'm, I'm growing more and more um, keenly aware of where the church is just hypocritical. Um, we're great at pounding our fists and saying we would never stand by and, and not speak up if something like that were to happen again. And the whole time we're saying that, it's happening. To, to some degrees even on a greater scale. And so it's just one of those ironies that it's so easy to, to pound our fists and to make these grand proclamations. It's a lot harder to really try and um, raise our voices and to cry out and to focus on and to learn, to educate, um, and to try to make some kind of a difference. What I've learned about evil is I've watched documentaries on World War II and things going on in Africa is that you, you take great atrocities and you're like, how could that happen? It's so huge, so grand, so evil. And then when you're watching, you know, archival footage and whatnot, you begin to realize that no one, per no one person perpetrates all the genocide. It's people doing one small act of evil. And when you total that up, you get this huge atrocity. And the, the fascinating thing about that is the reverse is true as well that great movements of good really are, um, they, they really occur in the same way. You break it down and it's little acts of good by individual people and when you lump it all together, it creates a great good. And so what we're trying to do this morning is spotlight the Congo, spotlight our involvement through World Relief and World Relief Next to try and allow God to speak maybe through the Holy Spirit um, in creative ways that, that we can try to stand up and make a difference because these people matter to God and they need to matter to us and just because there's distance between us doesn't change that. So 
Without saying any more, I'm going to bring up Anne Moran, who heads up the World Relief Next project for us, and she's going to take it from there. Good morning, everybody. Um, we're so excited to be here today and to be able to share our experiences from six weeks ago um, in this part of Africa. And um, I do realize that there are some people sitting here this morning who say, well, you know, what about all the needs in our own community and how vast they are and why are we looking to the other side of the world? And my answer to that is, is two things. Um, firstly, it's not either or, it's and both. We can't do mission in our own community without looking on a global scale. And the same applies. We can't do mission in the Congo without doing mission in our own backyards. So two reasons why I think we need to be um, passionate about speaking up about the Congo and why Congo should matter to Antioch. The first reason, as Ken was saying, the statistics speak for themselves. Um, three weeks after I got back, I still couldn't articulate the things that we saw there. And um, it's hard to put words onto um, the kinds of things that we're seeing. The figure of 45,000 people dying every month in this region due to mostly to starvation and disease. I mean, how do you get your mind around that? There's such a need for us to speak out about what's happening there. The second reason why I think Congo should matter to Antioch is simply because um, of what's happening there. And I believe that despite it appearing as a God-forsaken part of the world, because when you look at the surface, it is desperate and it is evil. And as Ben Edwards has put it, it is like the devil's playground on this earth and I think that accurately describes this place. But despite that, I have to tell you, and we're here to tell you that God is moving, and he is moving so powerfully in the lives of these people. And so God is triumphing over hunger, starvation, and disease, and he's triumphing over the rape of women and children, and he's triumphing over the hopelessness that is in that place. And somehow, somewhere, he has called Little Antioch in Bend, Oregon, to play a part in telling the message, in telling the story. And he's using Antioch to provide tools such as the video you're going to see later, and photographs, and brochures, to give to World Relief the international organization that plays a huge role in responding to these atrocities. And we get to speak into that. So God has brought the most amazing people together at exactly the right time to play a part. And that's why Congo should matter and does matter to Antioch. So I'm going to show you the first slide. Um, people do keep asking, well, really, truly, what is World Relief Next? And I'm trying to break it down into a simplest form. World Relief Next is basically a group of volunteers who feed into World Relief Next. And we, with the gifts and resources that we have, mostly in media, graphic arts, um, provide tools with which to pass on to World Relief in Baltimore. And they use these tools then to disseminate this information amongst their partnering churches across the US, their donors, their support network. Um, 
And out of that, um, the resources that we hope we will bring and the money we'll raise and the awareness we'll ra raise will then feed into our mission, which is to reach the most vulnerable people in the world. Um, the next slide um, is a map of where we went to. So we flew into um, Kigali in um, Rwanda and we, Kigali and Burundi, are the, or Rwanda and Burundi are the two small countries here in the middle. So we flew into um, Rwanda and um, crossed over and you see the Democratic Republic of Congo spans almost the entire continent of Africa and the fighting and the conflict that is taking place in this country is in the very small area on the Rwanda-Ugandan border in the um, north and south Kivu provinces. So it's a really small area, but we got to travel through there and you're going to hear lots more about that. And the objectives of our trip were twofold. One was to learn, um, to go and visit the programs that World Relief have that are being implemented on the ground in these three countries to see exactly what we're th they're doing, to understand what they're doing and to be able to communicate that to churches across America. And then the second reason we went was to capture um, media footage and photographs, which we did plenty of and you're going to get to see a lot of that today. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Ben, who's going to talk about our experiences in Congo and uh, I know you're going to enjoy it. Thank you. Hello, beautiful people. How are we doing? Well, I have a, a friend who's an EMT, and frequently he talks about the need for people who go through traumatic events, such as an EMT might see, to keep a sense of humor. And although this was a very, very heavy trip, that is one thing I felt we were able to do was to re retain our sense of humor. So if you don't mind, I'd like to show you a short little video I put together, just kind of of the lighter moments. Would you like to see that? All right, here we go. A lot of fun. Uh, I want to start, and actually, I'm just going to roll through this. Uh, what time is it? Kip's going to take me out if I take up too much time. So we're going to roll through these slides fairly quickly. Here we go. Um, from the moment you cross the border into the Congo, you feel the heaviness. In Rwanda, you know, uh, they're, they're trying to get past the genocide and there's a sense, there has been a sense of hope in Rwanda for some time. In Burundi, just south of there, they're getting out of 15, 16 years of, of civil war, so there's this emerging feeling of hope. You don't feel that when you go into Congo. You see that on the looks of everyone's faces. Now, everybody in Africa sits alongside the road, dangerously close to cars. Everyone does it. But what you see in Congo is different. The faces are blank. There seems to be no motivation for anything. This is Mount uh, Niragongo, I think. Dan would know better. Um, if it's not Mount Niragongo, it's the one right behind it, and there's probably a lot of the same letters in the, in the name of it. So uh, they both do this. Uh, so just outside of Goma, the, the kind of the capital area where we were, um, this mountain, or one next to it, erupted in 2002 and sent lava through the town, uh, basically destroying much of the town. So all of the roads that I've been on in Africa are terrible, but the roads in Goma are something else. It's like driving up by Broken Top. You're driving on lava. People are building their houses on it. Um, so we drove by this on the way to Ruchuru up in the North Kivu province. So I've always liked volcanoes. I thought that was cool. Uh, the next slide, this is a Chukudu. 
And uh, these two fine young men let us take their picture. A chukadu is something that every young man needs to get married because it's how they make a living. And uh, I, I feel bad. Matt, Matt Smith is in his 20s and he's single, so we, we kind of jabbed him and joked him that maybe he needed a chukadu. So we probably took that too far. I'm sorry, Matt. Uh, next slide. Oh, that's Matt Smith on a chukadu. <laughs> Moving on. Everywhere you look on the road uh, to Rishuru, there were soldiers. And because there's so many different groups, uh, rebel groups, army, you, you really don't know who they are. Uh, there were many times that we wanted to stop to take a photograph, and Marcel, the Congo team leader for us, would say, uh, no, you, you don't want to stop here. Uh, so I just grabbed this shot out of the, out of the car uh, as it was bouncing, and you can see some soldiers here getting ready. Uh, moving on. Okay, this doesn't look like much, but uh, this is a national forest that we passed. And the interesting thing there about the smoke coming out of the national forest is that that's illegal. And what they're doing is making charcoal, and they sell that charcoal to fund whatever activities uh, the rebel groups want to partake in. So anytime we saw smoke like this coming out of the national forest, we knew what was happening. Next. These children uh, had a school near Ruchuru, and... Um, but it wasn't much, and they were in need of a, a better school. So World Relief came in and partnered with some different organizations and, and created a, a beautiful school for these children. Go to the next slide. Uh, this is a child choking another child in that school. Uh, but they're having fun. We'll go to the next slide here. Uh, we were blessed to be able to get some photographs of soldiers because it's not easy to do. So this was taken out of the Land Cruiser driving 30, 40 miles an hour on a terrible road, and uh, we were able to get a couple of, of good shots of the soldiers here. We'll go to the next image. Uh, this is my favorite shot of a soldier. And, uh, you know, I'm still processing this trip. I'm not quite sure what this speaks to me. Maybe it speaks to you something immediately, but it, uh, it just breaks my heart. Uh, moving on, I had to jump really high to get this photo, but I got it. Um, I'm standing on top of a Land Cruiser, and this is cool. This is uh, what was a food distribution by World Relief Congo. And um, this wasn't actually a food distribution. They were just collecting data on the people who were served by this food distribution. Uh, just a few months before we were there, uh, rebel groups came into this area, and it was emptied out. Um, there were massive killings and... and rape and just uh, terrible atrocities were happening there. So World Relief um, went out and, and knew that these people needed to get seed into the ground before the rains came. So they uh, did a miraculous job of getting out there and getting the seed to the people. And then the people came back to be counted. And Marcel was telling us that all in all, maybe 40,000 people uh, were helped by this food uh, seed donation. So uh, moving on. This is Marcel, uh, just an incredible man of God, risked his life uh, leaves his family to go and, and assist the people who are in need. Next. This is a woman who lives um, just a stone's throw away from the food distribution. And uh, just 10 days before we were uh, there, her 10-year-old uh, her son was killed. Uh, somebody had, had broken into her house and killed him. And uh, her husband had tried to stop what was taking place, uh, but now he's, he was in the hospital. I'm not sure what happened. Um, she was very thankful for what World Relief was doing. This couple as well, 
Uh, we're very thankful for what World Relief is doing in the area. And their prayer for us, they wanted to pray for them, was fertility for the ground, and they wanted to have another child. And uh, you could just see the spirit in them. They were beautiful. Next. I can't take a lot of credit for this picture. And it's not, okay, it's staged. We didn't just walk in and there's like kids holding up signs. <laughs> I have to come clean. Uh, so if I'm taking the picture here, Matt Smith, probably wearing the shirt that he's wearing tonight, today, uh, was standing over here, and I don't know what he's doing, but he's putting on a huge show, and the kids were just very excited about whatever Matt was doing behind me. Thank you, Matt. Um, the cool thing about these, these girls, if we could go back to it, just again, uh, a couple, three months before we were there, their village was emptied out. And to see the kind of hope in their eyes, they were having class in a church while we were there, and just to see the joy on their faces, um, and especially the fact that they're all little girls, um, knowing what has been happening in that region and what could happen. Um, just an amazing, amazing photo in my mind. Moving on, please. Reconciliation is such an important part of what's happening in this area, be it between churches or different tribes. So these pastors get together, they've overcome the fact that they're from different tribes, they're from different churches, they are acting as the body of Christ. They're tearing down the walls that have been put up between them, and they're going and, and they're assisting women like this in the next slide. And this woman uh, got up one morning and was paralyzed, and um, I'm not sure why she didn't have a home. Um, but the pastors got together and, and they built her a house and they said, look, we don't each have a lot, but if we bring our little bit, it will add up to something great. And they built her a house. Uh, it actually looks like they're going to serve Miles' head to her, but that's, that's not the case. That's Miles, by the way. He was the swimmer in the video and uh, he works for World Relief in Rwanda. And he was so smitten with us that he decided to just leave work and go with us on the rest of the trip. It was really cool. So going to the next picture, this, uh, for the team, if you're seeing this now for the first time, is a very important picture to us. And um, we'll go ahead and just real quickly tell the story of what happened to us in the Congo. Um, I do have a little tattoo that the UN gave me when they airlifted us out, but it's on my lower back. So I'm probably not going to show that. It's a little risque. I'm just kidding. The UN didn't lift us out. So what we have here... Um, we went to bed around maybe 11 o'clock or so in, at this uh, Catholic uh, hostel, hotel, and, and we were in uh, the area of Ruchuru. And we all went to bed, and, and uh, just after a wonderful day of experiencing what World Relief is doing in the area, and uh, we were in bed, and here comes a knock on the door from Dan Brosey saying, we need to speak to you guys. If you go to bed and get a knock on your door from Dan Brosey afterwards saying he needs to speak to you, it's important. So we, uh, we got up and we met in the room that we, were, that we would eat our meals in. And uh, Marcel, the Congo team leader, said, uh, we need to talk about something. We, we've obtained some, some very reliable information um, that two rebel groups are going to attack the village tonight. Now his, uh, I think it was his cousin. Was it his cousin who was the, the police major in that area? He was related somehow. Um, had, had informed Marcel of what was going to happen or what could possibly happen. And I have to tell you, I'm going to be honest, at that moment I was, I was incredibly frightened. Not because 
of what could happen to me, but because of what could happen to my wife and, and my child. And I know that every, every time I leave on a trip, every time I go to Home Depot, for that matter, something could happen. But this was bringing it very close to home. So what we decided to do was to take turns. And we were going to pray for an hour each and just see what the Lord had for us. So on the left, you see our room numbers. Then on the right, the hours in which we were going to pray. Now, Marcel did say, he said, that these groups, they cannot come here. They cannot do this because the UN is just down the road. But there was something in his eyes that told me that maybe he didn't fully, fully believe that. So we each went to our rooms and we started praying. One of us took a sponge bath. I'm not going to say who. Um, but I'm sure they prayed too while they were sponging. So we went into our rooms and um, I was actually fully dressed because Marcel gave us a couple of options. He said, we can leave now, but the danger in that is that we might drive right into enemy hands. We might be ambushed. We could stay and see what happens in the morning. If we see that the road is open back to Goma, we know that we're safe to go. So we were all ready. We were packed. I had my shoes on. I was in bed. I was ready to go. And long about 4, 4.20 in the morning, we heard the first bam. And then bam, bam. And then all hell broke loose for approximately one minute. That was one of the longest minutes of my life. I come out of my door. I see Matt over here. And I see Marcel sticking his head out. And I think the logical thought is, this is it. Here they come. Now, Dan Brosey, having lived through things like this, knew that they were still a few miles off. But I had a lot of things running through my head. We walked down and we talked to Marcel, and he said, this is, this is not the rebel group. There's no way they would do this this early in the morning. They would, they would want to do it in the middle of the night. But he called his, his uh, police major uh, cousin, and, who in turn called the UN, and what had happened was Apparently, the Congolese army got the same intelligence that we got and launched what was probably a preemptive strike on the rebel group. We felt a lot better. We don't know what happened outside of our compound, but we know that, that God saved us that night and probably a lot of other people. If we could go back to the uh, pictures of the little girls, too. There's something that we have that we were able to accomplish that night, and that was to get together and to pray. And that doesn't mean that the rebel group wouldn't come. That doesn't mean the bad things wouldn't happen that night. But I cannot tell you the comfort that we had by having the ability to pray collectively and individually to our God who comforted us. And when I look at little girls like this and when I see some of the faces that I saw in Congo they deserve that same comfort and when they receive Christ into their heart that doesn't mean that bad things are not going to happen to them in their life they're going to maybe experience rape they're going to see killings and the reason for that is because people are involved there's great wealth in power in the Congo in the soil, in the ground. And everybody wants a little piece of that. The only way 
that these girls are going to experience peace and reconciliation is through Christ. Because he doesn't want the minerals. He just wants a relationship with us. There are a lot of people in this world who don't have that peace. God's love knows no border. These little girls deserve it as much as anyone. So that's why I would go back despite the danger. And I want to challenge you here today. We've all become comfortable. And we don't want to experience things like they have to experience. But let me tell you, we're the minority. So I want to challenge you. We've become comfortable. And 2,000 years ago, a small band of people set out to change the world and to live in love and to teach love. I want to challenge you to become uncomfortable. Thank you so much.